Welcome to the Subtle Storm. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Sky. I go by Storm. Welcome to the Subtle Storm. We talk about the human condition and basically all that engulfs in that and the storm that that really is in the most beautiful way. Today, we're going to talk about inadequacy and that feeling as a generalization. It's a really, really vast and just large topic that I could probably spend days, hours, weeks on um, just simply diving into, but I'm going to try and sum it up. I don't have any notes today. This is all coming from the forefront of my brain and just kind of a little light conversation to introduce you to this topic. I did um, have some affirmations last week's for last week's episode um, to maybe get you in the feel for this acknowledgement if you are following along. Because um, a lot of what we perceive um, inadequacy to be is that kind of feeling of unworthiness within ourselves. Maybe I see a lot in society, um, especially with like body dysphoria. Um, that's kind of a similar concept to that feeling of inadequacy of like feeling not good enough and feeling like, um, that perfectionist, like you have to constantly reach for something. And while this is definitely a very valid and very important and key aspect of this feeling and how it can kind of arise, there's also a lot of other deeper feelings and, and actions that can take hold from this state. Um, I think it can be hard sometimes to recognize um, that this is the baseline of a lot of feelings and actions and um, reactions that we take and that we hold because it's so deeply um, embedded in us, I think, especially from childhood. And of course, I always want to dive in headfirst into the root of these concepts because I think that everything really does start at childhood. When we're that young, our brains are like sponges. They're taking in all this information, all of the emotional reactions, all of the energies, all of the speech, all of the like reactions, actions, everything. We're soaking it in and we're realizing all these different things about life. You think about it like we're coming into life not knowing a single thing and we're coming into life also deserving and self-loving. We really like building this perception of the reality that we're experiencing. You know, we were in the womb for nine months and developing. We had no perception of what life was. Nothing, life wasn't anything at that point. We don't have any recollection of that. Um, you know, we're, we're taking this reality and we're building different pathways and different experiences. So everything really, I think, comes down to those developmental stages within childhood. And I do think that that is affected for us in the womb. And and there are studies done, especially with like maybe depressed mothers and things like that and how the baby develops afterwards with the change in emotions from the parent and, and etc. So it has been scientifically proven that, you know, we are affected from energies and things, especially from the mother in the womb, but there also have been studies from the father or from the other partner and different influences, especially music and things like that on the baby's perception and how they develop. And a lot of those are slightly subjective um, based off of the studies and the minimal data that they really can collect. Um, 
but it is still fascinating and it just shows how much of an impact that stage of life really has on us and how we perceive and develop throughout life. And also, side note, little plug here, I am developing a project um, in a self-study on different behaviors and developmental psychology, um, and I'm going to be having as many people as possible come in and be interviewed and tell me about your life, your early childhood, and the development of your life and your perspectives, and the link will be in the bio eventually, um, so you're more than welcome to come out and check that out send me an email, whichever, if you'd like to get involved. Back to the topic. So, yeah, I think that the development within childhood is is very, very key in any type of healing. And I've said this before, but in a lot of the healing episodes that I've done, I think that a lot of that comes down really to development and the ways that we are, those neuropathways are kind of starting to connect in our youth. And that same concept goes into inadequacy. And there's lots and lots and there's billions of different ways that this can begin. And it's not really just one occurrence. It's a lot of built-up occurrences. Like, for example, if you have a really healthy attachment style with your parents, but maybe one time, one time in your entire youth, they tell you that you're not doing a good job, you know, that might hurt you, but because you have been developed with this healthy attachment, you will learn, you'll know how to handle that in a healthy way, and it's not really going to affect you overall. That's an example of, you know, it has to really be kind of a repeated offense. So, for another example, and I'll give a couple of them just to give, put in perspective, um, if your parent was constantly belittling you, for example, saying that, um, giving examples of, of them being above you. So expecting you to do more than they would expect of themselves. Um, let's see, maybe taking higher priority over of themselves, being very overly selfish. Um, and that's, that kind of puts in the notion of belittling. It doesn't always have to be direct. And of course, a lot of abusive parents verbally and emotionally and physically would do that kind of belittling, especially physically. The, the belittling is very much so um, physically hierarchical, so you kind of internalize that as feeling not good enough and inadequate, but also with emotions, um, putting their emotions over yours, things like that, and also verbally kind of putting you down and um, just putting you in a, in a mental box, and also that type of manipulation and control can be a really big part of feeling inadequate later in life and There's lots of different ways that it can come about. Another way would be um, maybe even not directly through a parent, which I think that is always reinforced by the parents. If you grew up in a healthy attachment style and you're encountering these things outside of the home, there's got to be something else inside the home that is perpetuating those feelings outside to be true. Um, For example, like if you maybe... um, have a different weight class than people in your grade, and you start to feel self-conscious about that, um, little things like that. But again, I think that that wouldn't bother somebody with a healthy attachment and with proper learning techniques and um, processing techniques given by a healthy parent. So I think that a way that if that were to really, really hurt a kid, it would have to be from a parent who is maybe perpetuating those beliefs and giving a lot of emotional neglect. Um, I think in 
other healthy attachment styles that the child may come home to that, explain what's they're making them uncomfortable, and the parent would give them relief and be that kind of safe haven that they're supposed to be for their child. And I think a lot of this just kind of comes from that emotional neglect. A lot of the time, or physical neglect, you know, um, I think for very harsh examples, if you were kind of abandoned, um, it can bring up feelings of inadequacy. Um, and same with adoption, I would say, is the same type of abandonment wound. And a lot of these bigger, broader topics like abandonment really do stem from inadequacy. That's kind of like the core emotion. You can call it unworthiness and things like that. But I think that all, a lot of that really does stem from there. And where that comes from is is all from these these topics in childhood. There are examples that I must give also that can arise socially. I believe um, culture can be a really big part in this. For example, like uh, Middle Eastern culture, a lot of the times men are more um, hierarchical than women. So I think innately there is this notion for women, which does start in childhood. You learn this within youth and development. Um, that women are inferior. And so, you know, you, you gain this belief, you, you go about your life throughout your years, believing that you are inferior to men, having this kind of complex in your mind of feeling not good enough, but you're not really realizing that because it feels right, because it's cultural. And again, I think that there are so many different ways that this develops. And, and societally, this happens quite often, I think, with women, especially, and also different you know, maybe um, groups like the LGBT community um, and things like that. You know, there's this premise in society of you being below another class and things like that. Same with even government. There's this, there's a stature of inferiority that kind of instills this feeling of inadequacy innately, but that's a more broader scheme. It doesn't always affect us as closely as something like emotional neglect or this confusion around identity and things like that. And what this can look like um, most directly, we I think we interpret it as insecurity. Um, but once you kind of like start working at it, for example, it's um, and you maybe do like surface level self-care things like changing your viewpoint, changing your mindset and things like that, which I don't know necessarily if it's the best way to go about it. I did it that way. And um, I think there was a lot of underlying feelings underneath that. But it can also help to pick it layer by layer like an onion, making it easier to tackle instead of cutting it all in half and, and being overwhelmed by all those layers. So it really depends on how you process and handle information, especially in an analytical sense. Um, so, <laughs> But... As far as grand scheme, um, overall concept, conversational concept, when we talk about um, what this can look like when you are, say, self-aware, we can use this term, um, when you've kind of realized those feelings and you are acknowledging of them, it can be quite confusing the ways that it may turn up. So we intake that, I think, a lot of the times as like, oh, I'm not good enough, or I just wish I looked like this, or no, I need to get this perfect because I want to do this, and da-da-da. And those feelings, I feel like, are a little bit easier to identify, especially because it's pretty common 
among people and in media and among conversations. If you really listen to people, you pick up on those tall, small little insecurities or feelings of inadequacy, which makes sense. And it's okay to feel those things. But I think also there's an aspect of masking that I am aware of with a lot of people where, you know, they'll recognize those things in themselves and, and try to shut it down um, as a way of healing in their own mind and saying like, oh no, I don't feel like that anymore. I know that I'm worthy. Um, and that can be a little bit toxic of a tool, I think, especially with this within the spiritual community. It's like, well, you know that you're good enough. Just tell yourself that you are and it'll be okay. Um, you know, I think that that, that concept of telling yourself something so that you believe it um, doesn't always tackle the root. So you're going to feel like that on the outside, but you're still going to have this internal concept of like this battle between the two and it can be really confusing. So let's say you get to that point. Those concepts, when they do arise, can be really confusing and challenging to get to for some people. Um, And I've definitely experienced that. So I think when those things come up, so I can give an example. Let's say um, for years you have had this this weird habit of, um, let's say... leaving a relationship right when it starts to get really, really good. Let's say you are you always get in really good relationships and they're healthy and they're amazing and then you hop into one and get pretty close and then you back out and you're really afraid or you ghost them, something like that. I used to know a lot of people that did this. And um, that, to me, I think for a lot of people it speaks um, fear of intimacy and fear of vulnerability, which makes sense. But what is really at the root of that fear of vulnerability? It's that fear of inadequacy. Um, even if you don't perceive yourself to be comparing or things like that, the reason that you are stepping out of it is because, in a sense, the deep down root of that would probably, I would assume, feel like you don't want somebody to see your true colors because what's behind that? Maybe you aren't comfortable with those true colors. Have you made peace with them? Have you understood really where they come from? And this is just one of many examples that I can give you, but it just shows how really deep down that feeling of inadequacy is. And a lot of the times we see this as, okay, I'm afraid of vulnerability or I have this fear of intimacy. So we tackle those, but we never get to this fear of inadequacy and this inadequacy kind of perception that we have of ourselves. It's the same thing with people pleasing and things like that, which is a learned habit, and it's actually a safety mechanism, as are a lot of our the things and the ways that we react with people are all safety mechanisms. And when we recognize that, it's like, oh, okay, so now I have witnessed this thing in myself, and cool, but where is the, where's the rest of it? And as far as people-pleasing goes, that can be like overextending yourself for somebody else's approval. And why do we feel like we need somebody else's approval? Maybe because we don't feel like we can give ourselves the approval that we need. Why can we not do that even though we try to? Well, it's because those that has been a learned trait that we can't or that we're not good enough for somebody else to feel that or that we just simply can't or we don't deserve it. Little things like that. And 
you know, the more that you dig really deep into the things that you struggle with on a daily basis or just things that you ponder on, the more that you get to the real, real root. And I'm not encouraging people to analyze their concepts in life to holy hell in the way that I do. But for me, for example, it's giving me a lot of clarity on where those emotions come from, but it's not always easy to access. But having that acknowledgement that, okay, well, I believe the root of a lot of this stuff is that I'm not feeling super good with myself. And what can I do for myself that's going to make me feel more valued to myself without seeking external validation? And that's a big big um, kind of um, cling to that for ourselves is seeking validation out elsewhere. And it's also a safety mechanism. It's a learned trait. And we seek that from our parents, that validation to kind of backtrack the things that they have allowed us to believe. And it's quite a confusing construct when you really ponder on it, but it makes sense in adulthood and youth and things like that, that we use that tool to make ourselves feel more valid, but it's also not tackling the root. That is the self-soothing kind of aspect of it. You recognize that surface level need or that even deep down need that we have, even subconsciously, and you give to that need from outside perspective. And this can be healthy in a very communicative relationship where, let's say you have a partner and you acknowledge this deep-rooted feeling of inadequacy. You communicate it to them that external validation helps you feel more secure in the relationship and it makes you it makes it easier for you to give to yourself so that you can give to them. And that is the healthy way that it happens. <laughs> the healthy cycle. But in a toxic relationship, you might constantly be pulling at them to give you more validation when they don't understand why. And in reality, you really should be able to regulate yourself and be healthy for yourself before you ask for that validation. So it pulls you apart. It makes you resent them because they're not giving it to you and they don't understand. And maybe they get a little bit aggressive or things like that. It can go a lot, a lot of different ways. But in the end, we really have to recognize where the root comes from. And what can we do for ourselves? And I think... Part of the problem with this concept is a lot of society and the spiritual community wants to tell you, oh, listen to affirmations, manifest, and oh, tell yourself that you are, are this, you create your reality, and da-da-da-da. <laughs> and, or or they, they encourage you to ask the questions of, how do I feel better? Or how do I fix this? And how do I make myself feel better? Instead, ask yourself, what do I need? And if I was in a different um, phase of mind that I would prefer, what would I choose? Would I choose how I'm feeling right now or would I choose the other concept? What, what do I need? What, what, what would be best? What would feel best for me right now? And maybe even where does it come from? How can I better understand myself Instead of how can I fix myself? How can I better accept this aspect of myself instead of how can I change it to suit me better? But it doesn't really suit you better. That's just a minor change. At the end of the day, that concept is still going to be inside of you until you address it head on. And we also have to come with this acknowledgement that we are not the creators of this 
emotion necessarily. Yes, we might have maybe perpetrated it um, or perpetuated it, I mean, throughout life in some ways, but we didn't choose to have that perspective in life. We didn't choose that emotional baseline. We come into the world, like I said, self-loving and self-giving and deserving and accepting, but we begin to intake different responses from our reality and internalize them as a truth. So bear with yourself, give yourself patience, accept yourself, allow yourself to be in those feelings and maybe ask yourself, where does it come from? How can I give myself better compassion in this moment? And how can I choose a better path? And, you know, that choosing comes from what do I need? So, for example, like, maybe you're in that position with the relationship, for example. And um, let's say that you ask yourself, what do I need? Why, Why do I feel like I have, why do I feel the need to leave the situation? Instead of saying, Okay, I have to I have to fix this situation so that I can be in, in relationships in a healthier manner. Instead, even allow yourself to accept the situation. Maybe it was too much for you. Maybe it wasn't the right relationship and that was an, another aspect of why you left. Or maybe I just need some time and what can I do? I can I can communicate that and I can come back to myself right now. And what do I need? Do I need to sit with myself? Do I need to talk to myself? Do I need a hug? Do I need somebody to access that vulnerability? And why do I feel the need to run away? What what is this where has this come up in my life before? What am I feared fearing of? What has triggered me in this situation that is making me feel like this? And again, I want to encourage the emotional acknowledgement first. So so see this fear, see this like feeling of inadequacy, this this feeling of undeserving, this, this fear of that intimacy and things like that. Acknowledge those emotions. Tell yourself it's okay to be experiencing this. It's okay that I just did this reaction. I cannot take it back. And I acknowledge that it's okay that I did this for myself, but it may not be okay for the other person. And I need to acknowledge their feelings. And I also need to bear with myself and accept the way that I am feeling right now and give myself a better opportunity to understand so that I don't encounter this situation next time. And I think a lot of people into this this self-sabotage kind of mindset of where it's like, I shouldn't have done this. I can't believe I did this. And I just, I'm never going to be in a healthy relationship and, and things like that. And that just, can you see how that just builds and builds on that baseline feeling? The way, watch the way that you react internally, emotionally to things and actions that you take. What are you saying to yourself? What are the things that come up when tricky situations happen? Do you believe in yourself that you can get through it? And this might be different in different phases of healing. So you really have to dig deep for those things that you tell yourself. And it might not even be things that you're telling yourself. It might just be a wandering thought that you witness every once in a while and you say, okay, I just saw that thought. Maybe I should maybe I should look into that sometime. And that it's a really beautiful thing to acknowledge and have, you know, all these things being learned in yourself and becoming habits and then watching those old kind of concepts and thoughts of past selves and even really, really deep subconscious selves just float around, giving you the opportunity to to spot it, find it, and then bring it to the forefront and look at it 
and really break it open, pick it apart and love it, embrace it, give it compassion and accept it as a part of yourself and also none at all. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, we really are just kind of spirits or energies existing on this plane able to experience emotion and all these different crazy things and experiences, but we are stardust (laughs) merely, and I don't like to talk about a lot of that spiritual mojo jojo, but at the same time, that I think it's a good acknowledgement to not really take ourselves too seriously. I think at the end of the day, um, we want to give ourselves opportunity to live a happier and healthier and more fulfilling life, the one that we can perceive and the one that we do live Uh, But also acknowledging that really none of this is going to matter. And it might matter for new generations and it might matter for our simple energetic timeline and for other people's timelines and who we affect. But at the end of the day, we don't live forever. And I think it's a good thing to, to have in the back of your head, to not take things too seriously, but also take them seriously. Like, we want to live happier. We want to live and we want to exist in the best sense that we possibly can and just give to ourselves, be loving to ourselves so that we can have a healthier mind and just enjoy life a little bit more because that's really what it's about is living, learning, and experiencing as much as you can and being happy and fulfilled and loving to yourself while you do it. (laughs) I hear a lot of people talk about kind of like, well, I'm going to die at some point and I don't really have the energy to heal a lot of these things in myself, so I'm just going to live. And to me, that just sounds so miserable. Um, So it kind of came in my head today and I think a lot of those feelings are very backed by that statement. But yeah, I just felt like the, the, the need to acknowledge that. Either way, I hope that this has maybe helped you see a little bit within yourself, and if not, that's totally fine. I do want to remind you that, again, these are all my perspective, and you have no, like, obligation to take my words, and you do not have to take all the tools that I give you, whatever fits your toolbox and tool that you're presently working on, or maybe decide to work on in the future or started in the past, take that or don't, or leave it. Whatever fits you, and there is in no way, shape, or form where I'm trying to push this information on you or make my beliefs into yours. They are simply suggestions and things that I have learned and perceived through self-study and experience. So, again, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you to the ends of the earth. Um, yeah, namaste. And don't forget to click the links, all the links down in the show notes if you are interested in becoming a part of a little study group. So, namaste.